Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16, we have divine assistance. I can't overstate that we have divine assistance. As the writer says, seeing that we have a high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our profession, for we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmity. Sound like God really cares, don't he? And he does. He says, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, over the past several months, Pastor has been talking about receiving your breakthrough through extraordinary acts of worship, prayer, faith, sacrifice, and, and, and so on. And of late, he's been talking about uh, having your breakthrough by honoring the Word of God. There's something about when you and I put aside our differences, our feelings, and to a degree, even our intellect, when God demands something of us and we choose to honor his word, God will work in our behalf. And this church is a very passionate church. This church is a very giving church. Although we're a diverse congregation, we are singularly unified in the fact that we are passionate about the kingdom of God and the vision that God has given this congregation. How else can you explain that six years ago in 2008, moving forward, that during the toughest economic times that our country has seen in a long, long time, this church still was able to give $3.3 million to an effort in a downtime in our economy. That's passion, folks. That's people wanting to see God's work come to pass. That's kingdom-mindedness. Putting us in a position where we paid off the land on the Beltway, 60-plus acres, all paid for. Everything on this campus, all paid for. I know you heard it before. You're going to hear it again because I think it needs to be celebrated because God has used your hands to accomplish some things. And so we're in a position that we have taken the land, and now it's time for us to build the dream so we can change our world. Let me ask you something. What you felt in this service a few moments ago is what all of this city is looking for. That's what this city is hungry for. And we got a lot of things going on in our city. And much of it is not going to change until the hearts of people are changed. And I'm all about advocating for the right thing and standing for principles of the right thing. But there are some things that will not change until hearts change. The Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of the Lord. And he can turn it whithersoever he wants to. And we have to realize that God, the Bible says in the book of Psalms, that he will put up one and take down another. Promotion doesn't come from the east or the west. It is God that even promotes evil kings and leaders in a time in the church's history and in the history of his people that he might accomplish his divine purposes overall. We must keep that in mind as we seek to do what we can do as a people and doing the work and the will of God. But this church is a passionate church about the kingdom of God. And as Pastor said, the wind is blowing in the mulberry bushes again. <laughs> and it's our time. When we started out in 2008, we thought it was our time then. 
But God in his wisdom knew what was best. And there was folks that was doing things out there on the beltway, and we felt like we got left behind. But I'm going to tell you something. God always has a Kairos moment for his church. And I really believe that this is our Kairos moment. We're in that season. We're in that time. And any time that faith, feels stewardship principles are practiced, people taking God at his word, you can believe that there's going to be a release of faith. There's going to be a release of trust, expectation. You're going to see commitment and stretching as we seek to honor God's word. Now, I'm going to talk to you here for just a little bit, and then we're going to let you go into the day and finish your day, okay? <laughs> we want our level of faith to be increased because when our level of faith is increased, let me ask you a quick question. How many, you don't have to show your hand a rhetorical question, but how many of you feel I know going, I'm taking a stretch by saying feel, okay, I know that. But how many of you feel a little better than when you came? You know why? Because there was faith that was moving in this place. When people started praying and it's the presence of God and faith was released, people got lifted a little higher than where they were. They were a little more encouraged. And no matter what they were dealing with or facing, and, and none of that out there may have changed, but something may have changed in you that gives you the strength to face what you got to face. And, and that's how it, it works. And we want to level our faith to be increased. And so when we, talk, when we start talking about a faith-filled stewardship campaign, we're not just talking about uh, resources or monies or uh, revenue and things like that. There's another aspect to this that can literally transform our lives. And so when the level of our faith is increased, we literally can cross our Red Seas. How many of you ever had a Red Sea you had to cross? A Red Sea is those problems that may seem unmanageable and impassable. But you can cross your Red Seas when you get an increase in your faith. Not only that, we can conquer the giants that we face. I don't know about you, but I've had a few giants I've had to face every now and then. And some of you have had some giants you've also had to face. And these are mental images Thought processes that intimidate and try to keep you bound in fear. And Goliath had kept the army of Israel in fear until a young man by the name of David came by who had a level of faith beyond what the other Israelites had. They said, I believe God can remove this intimidation and this fear, and it had to come down in the name of the Lord. And your intimidation and your fears that the enemy has tried to put in your mind is coming down in the name of Jesus Christ. You can bring down the walls in your life when the level of your faith is increased. And walls represent obstacles between you and your promises, your visions and your God-given dreams. What walls separate you from your goals? Elevating God's word. Honoring God's word, having increase in your faith can bring down those walls that stand between your God-given dreams and your God-given visions. God wants you to achieve and accomplish the things he has placed in your heart and placed in your spirit. It is the enemy's job to put up walls to keep you from getting there. But when you elevate and honor God's word, the word of God can pulverize those walls and bring them down in the name of Jesus. You may think throughout this campaign that what you have in your hand is not enough. You may think that it is insignificant. And what you're viewing is not enough. 
in your sight and in your mind when given to God. And I'm going to get to my scripture that for my text today, okay? Just hang with me. But when you give it to God, God has the ability to take what you deem as little and he can multiply it and make it much larger and much bigger than you ever dreamed that it could be. Considering John the sixth chapter in verses nine, when Jesus was teaching the people out in the desert and the disciples came to him and said, Lord, the people faint by now. And he said, they said to Jesus, they're hungry, Lord. They need something to eat. And Jesus turned and looked at his disciples and said, well, you give them something to eat. And they looked around and said, you know, ain't no steak and ale out here. Ain't no Kentucky Fried Chicken out here. There's no Burger King out here. Where are we going to get enough food to feed 5,000 men plus women and children? And then Peter, somebody got the bright idea. They saw a little boy walking around with a little psych lunch with nine loaves of bread and two fish in it. And they said, hey, let me, let me get your lunch here. Let's, let's take this to Jesus and see what he can do with it. It seemingly was small and insignificant in their hands. But when you put it in the hands of the master, when you transfer it from your hands and you release it into his hands, how many of you know he's got some big hands? As a matter of fact, the old song goes, he's got the whole world in his hands and so they brought those few fish and loaves to Jesus. Jesus lifted it up and thanked the Father for it, break it, gave it to the disciples, and they all had their little baskets. And he said, I want you to distribute this to the people. Here is the miracle of acceleration and increase when you give something to the Lord. It may start off as seemingly as small and insignificant, but when you put it in his hands, he's able to accelerate it, multiply it, and increase it. Those, guys, those fellows, the disciples, took those pieces of bread pieces of fish in their basket and they will go from one family and give them a piece of bread and a piece of fish. They'll go to another family and reach into the basket and give them a piece of bread and a piece of fish and they kept looking in the basket because the basket never got empty. You know they went through a thousand and the basket still had bread and fish in it. They went through two thousand and their basket still had bread and fish in it. You know why? Because I'm going to tell you what God can do when you begin to release something in his hands he is a supernatural God and what Jesus did in those baskets that the disciples was carrying Jesus literally in my sanctified mind of opinion and imagination he had to do this some kind of way but I believe that in that basket was taking place a miracle in each one of those baskets do you know what the Lord did he went back to where the farmer planted that seed of wheat in the ground. He went back to when it had the elements of nature had to put sunshine on it and put water on it. He went back to when that seed of wheat that was planted in the ground grew up and became a crop. And then this time of harvest came and it was harvested at the mill, ground at the mill, then taken to somebody's home and placed in the oven and then baked. Jesus did all that in that basket that they was carrying and not only did he do that think about the pieces of fish that they broke 
and people still had fish. He had to go back to where the fish was spawn at. He had to see them growing. He had to see them going upstream. He had to lead them to the place where the fishermen could catch them. He had to have them also after being caught, they had to be clean. They had to be cooked. Jesus did all of that in the basket that these disciples was carrying. You don't see the magnitude of the miracle that he did. We just look at it and we just said bread was breaking and fish was broken oh no friend something had to take place in that basket and they fed several thousand people and after it was over they still had 12 baskets left over God will not only take care of the present need he'll give you some baskets of leftover when you release it into his hands oh hallelujah I feel a shout coming on hallelujah oh hallelujah you can look at your life and there may be no possible means of increase evident. Just as in 2 Kings, the fourth chapter, verses 1 through 7, when a poor widow woman who had a husband who was one of those that studied with the sons of the prophets. Her husband died and left her in a terrible strait. He left her in debt to the point that the creditors was coming to take her two sons to pay off the debt that her husband had left. And you know what? What really gets me about this, let me go to the 21st century for just a moment. It is not a sin to get life insurance, husbands. If you have somebody in your home that depends on your income, I know we don't like to think about it because somebody said, well, if I go get life insurance, I might die. I got news for you. We all going to die. Just be ready to meet Jesus. Okay. But he had put no provisions in place for his family in the untimely event of his demise. And so he died. And the creditors are coming to take the two boys to become slaves because of an undebt, a debt that was unpaid by the father. And so the prophet comes by and this little lady, she screams out at the prophet. My husband was a part of your group. And now the creditors are coming to take my children. It's almost as though she is blaming the prophet for her problems. We always look for somebody to blame when we have a problem. So it's got to be somebody's fault that I'm in this mess, right? And so he said, tell me, lady, what do you have in your house? She said, all I got in my house is just this little jar of oil. Insignificant, doesn't seem like much until you honor God's word and release it into the hands of the master. He said, I tell you what to do. I want you to go and collect all the jars you can in your community. I love this story. This is so beautiful because this lady was, she had so much debt. She didn't see no way out of her circumstance. There seemed to be no way possible she could turn this thing around. But when you take God at his word, things can turn and change for you. And what her boys did, they went out into the community and they gathered all the empty jars and vessels that they could get. They brought them to the house and she has one jar of oil and starts pouring oil in one jar and that jar is filled up. And I don't know how big the container was, but let's say it's a five gallon size container and she's got a quart size container. You know a quart can't fill up a five gallon container unless the miracle working God is at work, right? 
So she got her quart-sized container, and she pours oil into a five-gallon-sized container. I can see her son say, whoa, did you see that happen? Let's see if it'll do it again. So they go over to another container, and they got their quart-sized container, which should have been empty by now, and they pour into that five-gallon-sized container, and it fills up with oil, and their quart-sized container is still got oil in it. And they do this for every container that they had collected in the neighborhood. And when it was all over, the prophet says, hey, do you have any more containers? She said, no, we run out of containers. We don't have any more that's empty, which I believe that no matter how many containers they would have collected, there would have been enough oil to fill up every container that they had collected. If they would have went over to the next community and got 20 more containers, God would have filled them up. If they would have went out of state and got containers, God would have filled them up. It didn't matter how many they got, but what they had, they had released into the hand of God. And God can take it and multiply it, accelerate it, and increase it when it doesn't seem like a whole lot at all. Some of you feel like you just got a little bit in your hand, a little bit in your house. Turn it over to the master and watch him accelerate what you got. Turn it over to the master and watch him multiply it. You might can't do a whole lot with it, but I got a God that'll take your quart-sized container of oil and fill up every five-gallon jug that you got, and then you'll have some left over. Because this is what the prophet said. Take everything you done got, sell it, and then live off of Pay your debt. 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 I hope I wasn't unclear. The Bible said the wicked borrow and pay it not back. But the righteous lend it and are generous. He said, you pay your debts off, and then you and your family, your boys, live off of what is left over. Watch this, folks. Here's a lady. You got to see this. Here's a lady. Has nothing. Nothing. She goes from nothing to paying all her debts off, and now she has a foreseeable future because she released what she had into the hands of the master. She honored the word of God. The prophet said, you go do it. She did it, and they got results. Turn around to somebody and say, if you do what he say, you'll get results. This leads me to a fellow by the name of Peter. St. Luke, the fifth chapter. I'm going to spend about maybe 10 minutes here, and then we're going to get out of here and go get some barbecue, okay? Or whatever you like to eat on Sunday afternoon. Gumbo. If you're from Louisiana, I like some folks say Nowlands. Anyway, that's a sidebar. That's why I wouldn't make a good radio preacher. You have to stay on task. I'm all over the place. Luke, the fifth chapter, verses four through seven. I don't know what translation they got out there, but I'm reading from the New Living Translation, I think. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Now go out where it is deeper and let down your nest to catch some fish. There's a few things that happen when you begin to take God at his word. Number one, you have to obey. Secondly, as you take God at his word, there has to be commitment. There also has to be the willingness to stretch when you take God at his word. 
You also will have the level of your tra- trust and expectation raised when you take God at his word. So there are some things that happen that you and I must make happen when we take God at his word. And then God will accelerate. As you'll see in this little story, he will accelerate some things for you when you take him at his word. Okay? So when he had finished speaking concerning, this is talking about Jesus. He said to Simon, I go out where it is deeper. I want you to stretch, Peter. And let down your nets to catch some fish. Because these fellas have fished all night and taken nothing. Master Simon replied, we worked hard all last night and didn't catch a thing. But if you say so, King James says, nevertheless. But I found out most people don't know what nevertheless mean. Don't be afraid to admit, you might didn't know, nevertheless. What is that? Nevertheless, less, never, never. What is that? So I'll just read the New Living Translation where it says, <laughs> uh, But if you say so, I'll let the nest down again. At this time, their nest was so full of fish, they began to tear. A shout for help brought their partners in the other boat, and soon both boats were filled with fish and on the verge of sinking. Peter is getting ready to have a teachable moment. He's getting ready to enter into ministry. Jesus is getting ready to call him to walk with him. Jesus moves in the realm of the supernatural and the miraculous. So he's got to let this, this, this young man see that if you're going to walk with me, you're going to have to learn to expect the unexpected. You're going to have to learn that the impossible can happen when you walk with me. You're going to have to learn that there are no barriers that restrict my abilities and what I can do. So I'm getting ready to start you off with a teachable moment here, and I'm going to take what you are comfortable and familiar with doing, and I'm going to give you a teachable moment that's going to show you that beyond your abilities, I can step in and give divine assistance. And with my divine assistance, supernatural things take place. Now watch this. So Peter is going to honor and take God at his word. And so when he does this, he finds a couple of things out. Number one, your present conditions can change regardless of what your past has been. Most of the time, our past dictates our present condition. And Peter had fished all night and taken nothing. So he was governed by his past presently. Lord, we worked hard all night and hadn't taken a thing. That's past. But God is getting ready to change his present condition based on the fact that he has taken him at his word. Not only that, when you take God at his word, you end up with more than enough. Peter had to call for help because the Lord gave him more than he could handle because he took the Lord at his word. So this is what I want you to get out of this little, this little point right here. God can take our toil and our struggle from our efforts, and he can give us more than what we expected from, four, from far less effort in a shorter amount of time. Let me, let me break it down this way. Let's say Peter started fishing because he said he fished all night, and in that day the fishermen would go fish at night, and in the morning they would, what they would do, they would salt or sail their catch, and then they would clean their nets, 
and they would allow the day to go by, and they would go out again at night if needed be. But fishing was mostly done at night because certain times of the year the waters were cooler, the fish were more, you know, the fish were, were, were they just was in a better eating mood, okay? The buffet just was better at night. So he's been, let's say he started at 8 o'clock that night. He went fishing at 8 that night. And he's a fisherman. He's experienced. He knows this is the best time. He knows the barometer of the water. I mean, he knows all the science behind catching fish. This is how he makes his living, okay? But by 12 o'clock, he hadn't caught a thing. By 4 o'clock that morning, he hadn't caught a thing. And so by the time daylight is breaking in, it's time to close up shop and go home. Jesus is off the sh on the shore teaching. Sees these fellas cleaning their nets, empty night, nothing happened, time to go home and get some eggs and biscuits. Now, I know Jesus was an early riser because the Bible said he would arise a great while before day and he would pray. But the crowd that he was talking and preaching to probably weren't early risers. They was appreciating daylight saving times like you did this morning. Got an extra hour. So let's say they show up at 8 o'clock in the morning, and Jesus is teaching and preaching at 8 in the morning. Peter started at 8 the night before. So he's been out there 12 hours, toiling and struggling. This is my hypothetical, because hypothetical, we don't know what time, a time frame that works. So you're just going to have to work with my scenario until you give me a better one, okay? So he's out there 12 hours, and he don't catch anything. Now stay with me. This is going somewhere. This is going to help somebody. 12 hours, toiling and struggling, and didn't catch a thing. Jesus comes to him and says, Peter, go into deeper water. Number one, he's asking Peter to stretch beyond where he's at. Peter's ready to go home, but Jesus said, no, pick up your net. Let's go do this again. That takes commitment because he's already fished in waters that didn't yield anything. So why should I go back out there again? But when you take God at his word, what didn't work when you was doing it will work when he tells you to do it. Somebody got that one. Somebody got that one. So here's what happened. He's 12 hours, nothing happening. Let's say it takes him 30 minutes to get the nets drawn back up and to push out into deeper waters. 30 minutes, and he lets down the nets once he gets out into the deeper waters. All of a sudden now, he got this great humongous catch of fish to the point he needs help to haul it in. Here's my point. What didn't happen with 12 hours of his struggle, his efforts, and his energy took place in my scenario in 30 minutes when he took God at his word. What God did was he accelerated Peter's effort. And what the Lord will do for you and I when we take him at his word, God can accelerate and take the toll and the struggle, how hard do you think it took him to work as opposed to that 12 hours when compared to that 30 minutes when Jesus told him to cast down his nets for a drought? God can do in less time than what you and I could do with all the time in the world. Let me put it to you this way. How would you like to get six months worth of contracts in your business in the course of one month. Where are you, business owner? How would you like six months worth of contract God accelerated because you took him at his word? Let me put it this way for a salesperson here today. How would you like to get three months of sales in one week? 
Okay, I, I still ain't got where some of y'all live at. What if God gave you 10 new clients in the time it usually takes you to get one? You see, when you take God at his word, God can accelerate the process with less effort. Some of y'all still ain't getting this. Let me put it to you this way. How would you like an entire year of increase on your investments in one month? Yeah, I knew that'd get some, I knew that'd get a pull right there. Whatever it would take to get you a year of increase on your investment, what if God accelerated it and you got it in one month because you took God at his word? You see, when you take God at his word, you give him the permission to do what you can't do in your own strength and ability. And you might have been working very hard at it, and you might be very good at it. But when you get God into the equation, you take out the energy and the effort of man, and you get the big old strong arms of God involved. And as I said before, he's got the whole world in his hand. So, Peter, I know you have fished all night, and you haven't taken a thing. But it's all right, son, because I can accelerate this process with less effort, less energy, less toil, less struggle. Hey, folks, that's what it was like in the garden before Adam sinned and disobeyed the word of God. Everything responded to him just like that. But after he sinned with struggle and with toil and with labor, will you draw your food? from the earth that I created you from, from the sweat of your brow, Adam, you're going to have to work for the things that you have right now. But before he dishonored the word of God, everything in the garden harmonized with him. When Adam spoke, it responded to him. I'm talking about you and I moving into a Cairo season when, when God begins to bless you and God begins to move with you because you took God at his word. I got to quit. I got a couple things. I've got, to, I got more notes than I got time. But that's all right. People got ministered to, and that's all that matters. <laughs> you ever felt a shout coming on? <laughs> I got a real, I mean, I could just turn loose, man, and just go, I just go crazy. I can just have a Holy Ghost fit, but we probably got some visitors here, and they don't know what that is. So for their sake, I'm going to spare them. When God spoke to Peter, Peter, first of all, had to obey. Turn around somebody and say, obey. The next thing Peter had to do was commit. Tell somebody, commit. The reason you must commit is because when you and I are taking God at his word, God's word will cause us to stretch. And if you're not familiar with stretching, you can break if you're not committed. Commitment keeps you from bending or breaking when you're stretching to, to do what God tells you to do. I got one little illustration about this, and it's about me, so don't charge me for it, please. But a couple of years or so ago, uh, I got this crazy thought in my mind that I will run a marathon with the encouragement of two young men in our church. Now, I know it don't sound like a lot to you, but when you're 53 years old, you shouldn't go looking for marathons to run. And I wanted to take on the whole enchilada, 26.2. So I got talked into it. 
And But I knew this. I knew it would be a commitment because I knew I was going to be stretched. I just didn't realize how much I was going to be stretched. I realized that commitment is the key when you are being stretched. If you are not committed when you are being stretched, you will abandon your plan. You will abandon the process and you will abort your goal because you was not committed when the stretch was on. Because you get pulled this way and you get pulled that way. You're pulled out of all kind of places. But if you're committed, you don't break. You stay in the process. I learned some things about myself that I didn't know I had. Number one, I learned that this body sometimes don't want to do some things. You see, my body was saying on some days when it was cold and it was wet, because I don't do those two, wet and cold. My body was saying, do you really want to do this? My body was being stretched. I was, I was pushing my body to places it had never been before. Logging in more miles weekly than I'd ever done before. I was stretching myself physically to get the conditioning that I needed for the goal I had in mind. And I had to stay committed even though I was being stretched. But I got stretched physically. I got stretched in my mind. I had to learn things I didn't know about. I had to learn what pace was. I had to learn how to do my, my gait. I had to learn how how to keep my form. I had to learn what shoes to wear, what socks to wear. I had to learn what to eat, when to eat, and how much to eat, how often to eat. I had to learn what nutritional supplements to take to keep me recovered, you know, to help me in my recovery. I had to, I had to expand my mind. My mind got stretched in places it hadn't been before. My emotions got stretched. There were some days, I'm going to be honest, I just rolled in that nice warm bed and said, oh God, do you want to do this, Donnie? Oh, because I would have to get out to the track at old dark 30 in the morning. Be able to keep it. That's what we called it in the army, old dark 30. That's before the chickens get up, for you folks that don't know. And uh, I would have to get up at old dark 30 to be at the track between 6.30 and 7 when they open up so I can get my training on and go about my day. But I found myself getting stretched in places that I didn't realize I could be stretched in. But here's the thing. If you will, com if you will stay committed, even though you are being stretched, you will reach your goal. What am I trying to say? The Holy Spirit is going to speak to many of you here. It's about what to do during this campaign. And when you make that commitment, know that you're going to be stretched. But that's all right. This all, turn around somebody and say, it's all right to get stretched. It's all right because Pastor Donnie said it's all right to get stressed, okay? As long as you don't get stressed that way, okay? Just check and see if you're still listening. But you're going to get stretched. But if you stay committed, when it's all over, you reach your goal. You reach your goal. I wish I had time to get into some other things, and, and that's fine. Maybe we'll revisit this. I will look, I'm going to close with the story of George Mueller. It would be unfair to leave it hanging just like that. George Mueller, in eight, between 1839 and 1843 and 1849, housed thousands of orphans in London. He himself grew up uh, estranged from his family, drugs, alcohol, gambling, jail, all that type of stuff. And then he got converted. And as he walked the streets of London, he felt compassion for the orphans that he saw that were homeless in his area there in Bristol, London. They say that George Mueller never borrowed money. He did everything debt-free. 
They says, in that day, $7.5 million passed through his hands, which will be the equivalent of $40 million in today's currency, taking care of orphans. One of the stories goes as how he helped and how he, how he trusted God, rather, because he prayed about everything. He prayed about getting buildings. He prayed about the people that, were, that would oversee the work in the buildings. He prayed about the food. He prayed about everything. And so one morning, it's time for breakfast. And the house mother comes to him and said, George, there's no food for the children. And he said, and there was 300 of them. He said, have the children sit at the table, plates, cups, and all, as though a meal was here. And so you got a 300 smiley faces ready to eat, and there's nothing there. But George Mueller was a praying man, and he trusted God. And when you trust God and take him at his word, he'll never let you down. And what transpired was all of a sudden there was a knock on the door. He prayed and waited, and it was the local baker in his city. And the baker told him, he said, Mr. Mueller, I've been up all night long, and for some reason I baked some extra loaves. And the extra loaves that he baked was enough to feed 300 hungry boys and kids that was in that orphanage. He said, would you like to have them? George said, absolutely. Bring them on in. And not not long after that, the milkman knocked on his door because his milk truck had broke down right outside the orphanage. And he didn't want the milk to spoil, so he knocked on the door and said, I got all this milk here. I, I I can't go anywhere. Would you like to have this milk? Bring it on in. So here's a man that learned how to take God at his word. But here's what he did for these, kids, these young men at this orphanage. When they grew up in that orphanage and they finally grew up and it was time to move on, and there were thousands that came through his orphanage, he gave them three things. One, he prayed over every one of them. Secondly, he put a Bible in their right hand. And thirdly, he put a coin in their left hand. And he gave them these words of admonishment. He said, as long as you keep what's in your right hand, you'll always have something in your left hand. Stand with me. My point being, when you and I take God at his word, what's in your right hand, you'll always have something in your left hand. Doesn't the Bible say in Philippians 4 19, he's able to supply all our needs according to his riches and graces in Christ Jesus? Doesn't the Bible teaches us in Luke the 6th chapter, verse 38, that if you give, it shall be given unto you, pressed down, shaken together, running over, shall men give into your bosom? The Bible teaches us in, in the book of Proverbs that the blessing of the Lord, it make it rich, and he added no sorrow with it. In Proverbs 3 and 9 and 10, the Bible said, Honor the Lord with all thy increase and thy first fruits. And he said, Your bonds will have plenty and your vats will overflow. God is saying, when you honor me and you put me first and you take me at my word, I will never, ever, ever let you down.